Good morning. Good to uh, see everyone here today. This is a good time to remember our God's exhortations, that we are to rejoice in all things, that we are to pray without ceasing. I do want to be encouraging you to be praying for your brethren, praying for your church and the church. Pray for God's mission throughout the world. There's a lot of pressures coming to bear and in all these things, God is going to do well and be exalted, and his people will be okay, but we are called to pray uh, to pray for that. And so, um, it, and listen, we do have, uh, uh, on Mondays at 1130 in the Fellowship Center, uh, we have a, the prayer ministry team meets, and we're there for about an hour. If you want to come by and be a part of that prayer, um, I do encourage you to do that. Um, let's remember our, the words of exhortation by our Lord that we are not to allow our hearts to be troubled that we are to believe in God and that we are to believe also in Jesus. Your grace still amazes. 
Well, Rick, it's, it's nice to, to have someone who can sing so pretty to listen to when we can't sing ourselves. That's, you know, that's as much to say as, as uh, man, I, I miss singing, but, but thank you for your ministry of music. Uh, this is the day that the Lord's made. Well, let's rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed this morning. And I just want to tell you, uh, many of you are uh, kind of experiencing anxiety because what we expected was a, a kind of a decrease in COVID through the summer with the heat. And, you know, after going through all the days that we spent inside in the quarantine, and that's not what we're seeing right now. And there's a lot of anxiety in our hearts. And uh, listen, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but but like I, we, we say the cliche, we know who holds tomorrow. Like, like I just have this hope, like, um, I remember when, when Israel was in Babylonian captivity, they were away from the land and, and the worship of God's people wasn't happening as regular. We call that the diaspora. There's a season of diaspora in Israel. And I think right now in, in the United States, we're kind of experiencing a season of diaspora where the church is scattered and we're not together the way we'd like to be. And so for all of those who are home watching and this is part of your family worship, um, God bless you. We have great hope. Once again, we will be together in a really full way. Uh, but, but just let me remind you that the reason that we gather on Sunday mornings is to lift high the name of Jesus. And uh, we want to do that together right now. If, if you're able to do so, I'm going to invite you to stand. And, and we're going to be called to worship uh, through the Apostles' Creed. It's one of the, the great creeds of the church that confesses what it is that we believe the faith to be about. So it begins like this. I ask you the question, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated as we enjoy the ministry of music. Thank 
The psalmist writes, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Let's pray together. Our blessed Lord, we come before you as your people chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. You are the creator and the upholder of all things. We are never separate from your presence and control. We are forever ensconced in your love. We confess that we are sinners, but sinners saved by mercy and grace. Lord, make us intentional and sensible of our need for Jesus. Let the precious joy that he knew be the joy that we would know. Prepare us to endure Christ crucified in and among us. Strengthen us to be constant in discipleship, despising the shame of the world that it would heap upon true children of God. Father, we are your workmanship, being magnificently transformed from glory to glory into the image of your Son, even by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lead us likewise to the good works which you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Convict us to abhor that which grieves your heart, to seek our comfort in your promises, to repudiate carelessness in our faithfulness, to discern evil and not call it good, to be gentle 
and patient to all men, to be more than one who professes the gospel, but lives it in public and private. Father, forgive us our sins. They are many and run deep. We would despair, but for the promise of the cross, there is one name under heaven that has been given by which we can and must be saved, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in that name that we mourn our sins and embrace our cleansing. It is also in that name that we are able to ask your favor upon the cheerful giving of our tithes and our offerings. Bless them for the progress of your good news to the world. And Father, it is in that name that we pray your sovereign decree for the nations, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. to 
We have been working our way through the Ten Commandments, and today we find ourselves kind of at this point of transition within the Ten Commandments. Um, up to now, everything that we've spoken about in the Ten Commandments was about how we're supposed to relate to God. Uh, a lot of times we call that the first table of commandments. Uh, and we understand that there's two tables of commandments, the first four, which deal with how we relate to God, and then the next six, which deal with how we relate to other people. So let's just rever uh, review the first four that relate to God that we've gone through. We've talked about how the first commandment was to have no other gods before me. Now, the second commandment was to not make false idols in the worship of any god. And we, what we discussed was even in the worship of Yahweh, we shouldn't make false idols. Uh, that we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And that we are to remember to uh, keep the Sabbath holy. Uh, these are the first four commandments. Uh, like we said, they're about how you relate to God. We call them the first table of commandments. Today, we move into what they call the second table of commandments. And it's... Uh, really made up of six commandments that deal with how we treat other people, one another, other human beings kind of on earth with us. One thing that I've always found interesting is to stop and consider how uh, by freeing the Israelites in Egypt, what God was actually doing was in a sense creating a, an entirely new country. Now think about this for a second. He was creating an entirely new independent society. Each person that was marching with, with Moses towards the promised land, uh, they were born a slave. Their parents were born slaves. Their parents' parents were born slaves. Uh, for generations, all that these people knew was slavery. The Israelites, as, as a culture, they had very little idea of what self-governance would have looked like. They had always been lorded over. And now all of a sudden, God is making them a country that they're supposed to stand independently uh, the Israelites, they don't have any land yet, but once they're released, uh, once they're no longer under the, the tyranny of Pharaoh, they're basically a new independent country. They're a country that, that, that really has no army to begin with. They're a country that once they, they left you know, Egypt, they don't have a consistent food chain. They're, they're a country that hasn't figured out sanitation yet or laws or a police force. And this is a sizable group of people that we're talking about here. My guess is that most of us in this room take for granted the size of the people that were in the Exodus. Um, we, get a, we get a view of the size of how it was when we look at Exodus 12, 37. We'll put that up and we'll read it together. And it says, And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So let's just say, if you were to add one woman for every man in there, that you get to 1.2 million people. And then you say that maybe there's a couple kids running around in there, maybe there's some families, so let's just kind of call that an even 2 million people. That's larger than the population of Arizona, or, or excuse me, of Phoenix, uh, Arizona. If you had, a, if you had a, a town with 2 million people in it, it would be the fifth largest town in the United States. So when we think about the scope of the Exodus, it is a lot of people. Uh, can you imagine, just if you will, what it would have been like if you have this group of slaves and their families that has been freed uh, from slavery, and now they're walking around in the wilderness, and they have, they've never had to govern themselves. There's no laws. 
and, and listen, you know how humanity is. Like, if you've got two million folks, you're going to have some crazy people. And you're going to have some violent people. You're going to have just people who are probably mentally ill as well. You're going to have all these things happening. And we've all seen recently, like just kind of watching the news, what an or, unorganized society looks like. We, we recently watched in Seattle as uh, we saw a group organized into their own society called the CHOP, and protesters took over a, a section of Seattle, and they declared it an independent society free from the tyranny of American laws. They were a society without structure. They had no police. They had no emergency medical personnel. And in the end, it was really chaos. I mean, there was really chaos reigned until uh, the mayor there of Portland ordered police to go shut it down. In a similar way, uh, anarchy and chaos was a real threat to the Israelites. You can imagine as they were leaving, not having this structure, there was a real threat that, that anarchy and chaos would just reign in the wilderness. How are you going to feed everybody? How are you going to maintain justice? Who polices a country of slaves who've just been delivered? If you survey the Bible, you start looking through it, you're going to find out that the people begin grumbling against Moses. They begin to complain against his authority. They're about to complain because of lack of food. How is God going to provide a structure for a healthy society that he's now released? He's delivered them, but now he has to kind of develop them into a healthy society. What keeps these two million people from devolving into anarchy? Simply put, God gives his holy law, the ten laws that will govern his covenant people. Uh, The first four laws, as we discussed, talk about how God is to be worshipped. The next six laws are about how we're to treat one another. It was by these laws that God showed his people how to honor him, but it was also a way in which he was creating order in society and in their culture. What kept the people of Israel from devolving into anarchy? Well, it was the law of God. The rules that God gave about, especially the second table that he gave about how we kind of take care of each other, how we treat each other, it began with one fundamental principle that was going to, honor, that was going to kind of control society, that was going to bring order to society. Do you know what the first founding principle was of of ordering how we treat each other on that second table of things? It's this. It's the fifth commandment. It's honor your father and your mother. Now listen, this may seem like some rule which, uh, which all the parents in the room got together and made up, right, so that we could kind of tell our kids what to do. Uh, but I want to suggest to you that it is uh, that the commandment to honor your father and mother is the cornerstone of a healthy society. Uh, that, it, that it's a commandment that protects the family, and it's a commandment that teaches us to respect authority, because if respect is not learned in the home, it will not likely be practiced in the world. Uh, I want to read together today from the Ten Commandments. We kind of have this tradition as we've been teaching through the first uh, four so far, and today the fifth that we stand up and we read all the Ten Commandments together, and we just kind of get them fresh in our mind. I feel like it's a good practice for, for ten weeks to read through the Ten Commandments. And then we'll sit down and we'll talk about this fifth commandment to honor your mother and father. So if you are able, I want to invite you now to stand as we read Exodus 21 through 17. Before we read it, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We see it as, as a great blessing you gave to your people once you deliver them, God. You, you spoke these laws to, to show us how to treat each other well, how to honor society, how to show us how to worship you. 
God, you gave us your law to show us uh, that really we can't even keep it. And we need Jesus. The law points to us all being sinners. And I thank you that you're going to use it this morning as you bring conviction to all of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hear now the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. God's first commandment here in this second table that deals with how we treat one another uh, is one about authority, and it's one about family. Here's what Exodus 20, verse 12 says. It says, honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So, so at its face value, let's just start there. It's, at its face value, it's a command to respect the authority of your parents. And, and this morning, as, as I look around here, I see a lot of, a lot of kids. And uh, my son was in the first service. And unfortunately, my daughter was not. And I really wanted her to hear this sermon. This is one of those sermons that I really want my kids to hear. The, the, the call of God is to honor your parents. Um, and, and you would think that maybe in a patriarchal society, um, that all it would say is to honor your father. But Scripture goes way beyond that. It says, honor your father and honor your, your mother. God begins by ordering all society by telling us to give honor to our parents. Now, that word honor there in, in the Hebrew is kaved, which is, which is a Hebrew word for, for, for being heavy or weighty. And normally when we see it, it's associated with God's name. Like uh, God's name is heavy, it's weighty, it describes his majesty. To, to honor your parents, therefore, means to give due weight to their position or their role in your life. Uh, and, and follow me here. When you honor your parents, it, it's not so much about what they have done to earn your respect. Because that's, that's a lot of what we believe about respect sometimes. Respect is earned. You have to earn it. It's not so with 
your parents. Uh, it's about honoring the position for which God has put your parents in your life. God has chosen to put you under the authority of your parents. And I was trying to think through how this, uh, like how to illustrate this, how this works. And I was, what I came up with is it kind of works like a badge, like a police officer's badge. A badge is given to a police officer, officer as a token that shows that someone has given them authority. It usually represents the authority of the government, maybe the state or the federal government, depending on what level they work. Uh, when a law enforcement officer is in an encounter with somebody and they brandish their badge, they're saying, look, I have the authority of the government, I have the authority of the state. Someone's given me their authority. And at that point, it doesn't really matter what you think about that police officer. Uh, because you're not respecting that police officer because of his personal authority. It's no longer him that, that, that carries the authority. His badge is proof that he carries with him the authority of the government, of the state, maybe of the federal government. In the same way, uh, parents are given the authority of God. And, and listen, I've been really thinking about this lately, and maybe we just need to come up with a parenting badge that just kind of tells our kids, like, hey, I'm your parent. I've got the authority of God. You need to do what I say. I don't know why we don't have parenting badges. That's something maybe we should look into. Um, when you respect your parents, you aren't respecting them because of their personal authority. You're respecting them because uh, God has given them his authority. Uh, so let me ask you this question. What does it look like to honor your parents? And I don't think this is rocket science for most of us. And, and I'll spend some time talking to some of the kids here I know that there's a lot more kids at home than there are that are in the church this morning, but if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, you're here this morning, let me spend some time just talking to you. Um, I, I think you pretty much know what it means like to honor your parents, but let's just give you a couple practical pieces of advice. Listen, when your parents ask you to do something, and I'm going to make eye contact with y'all, so it's going to be real uncomfortable. Uh, when your parents ask you to do something for them, the best way to honor them is to do what they say without punishing them for asking you. You know what I mean? Do y'all do this? Because my kids do. I'll, I'll ask them to do something, and they, have, they intend to do it eventually, but they want to punish me a little bit for asking them to do it, so maybe that I'll be discouraged from asking in the future. So it's, oh, I didn't even make that mess. Do I have to? I, I don't want to walk through. Not right now. I'm playing my game. There's a symbol. It would be so amazing as a parent to ask my children to do something and for them just to say, yes, Dad. Do you, do you know what that would do for our family and what that would do for our heart? Could, could, could y'all maybe, just, in a sense of just honoring your parents, just try that occasionally? Um, and I know, that, I know that hearing me even say this is really annoying to you. Because in a sense, you can feel your parents giving you the side eye right now. You can kind of feel them kind of going like, yeah, you know, the, the, even the pastor says so. And listen, we've all been there. Okay, everyone in this room was once a kid. And we all had to, to wrestle with obeying our parents. And those of us that learned to, to respect our parents, we also learned to respect our bosses. And we learned to respect others in society. And, and, and I think at the end of the day, we're really thankful that our parents uh, taught us to, to obey them and taught us to do chores and be respectful because it's made us a better member of society. We've learned a lot from them. Here's another thing that you can do for your mom and dad. Just one more practical thing. Try telling them thank you. I know you're not paying attention to this right now, but raising children's hard. It really is. And, and uh, 
I may be selfish in saying this, but raising kids, y'all are stinking expensive, okay? It takes a lot of money to raise a kid. We've got to put you in clothes. You keep getting bigger. You keep making messes. We keep fixing that stuff. We love you, but, but being a parent is a, is a huge sacrifice. And you may not figure this out until you're older, but your parents do a lot for you. Look for opportunities uh, to say to your parents, thanks, Mom and Dad. Thanks for, thanks for getting us Chick-fil-A. Thanks for making us dinner. Um, thanks for buying me some clothes. Thanks for sacrificing for our family. When my kids say that to me, it means a lot. And I think it would mean a lot to your parents if you would learn the practice of saying that as well. Um, I remember the kind of questions that I would have asked if I was a kid. And, and, and here's, here's what I think, if I was a kid sitting in your, in your shoes, here's what I think I would have said. I would have said, uh, are there ever times when I don't have to do what my parents say? I think that would have been one of the questions I wanted to answer, right? Uh, do, are there ever times where uh, there are limits to my parents' authority, okay? And the answer is, actually, yes. There are some times where you don't have to listen to your parents. Maybe not a lot. Uh, parents can abuse their authority. And, but there's this basic idea, and I want to establish this. We're going to take a little side trip here. There's this basic idea that all authority on earth, every, everywhere that there's authority, whether it be uh, a police officer, a governor, uh, the president of the United States, that all that authority gets its authority from God, that, that God gives that all authority, and there's no authority on earth because of God's sovereignty, it doesn't somehow find its, its first place in God. And my, my proof text on that is going to be Romans 13, uh, 1 through 2. Let's put that up. Here's what it says. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. This is Paul. He's talking about government. Uh, but I think we can kind of use this illustration to kind of talk about our parents a little bit in the sense that it, it, they have authority over us because God has given it to them. And so when we respect our parents, it's not that we're respecting our, their personal authority. We're respecting God's authority and putting them over us. There's somehow we listen to that more heavily. So, so the Bible teaches that all authorities in your life get their authority from God. And whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Here's the one exception to that rule, okay? We've been waiting for it. I told you there was one. If your parents command you to do something that God forbids, or if your parents forbid you from doing something that God commands, you cannot and you must not obey your parents in that instance. Does that make sense? The one instance in which you cannot obey your parents is when they command you to do something that God forbids or they forbid you to do something that God commands. But other than that, we're really called to honor our parents. And, and what's funny is uh, when we think through this commandment, uh, it's the one commandment we think ends in adulthood. Right? None of us go like, well, I'm an adult, I can murder now. I'm, adult, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult, I can, I can use the Lord's name in vain now. But for some reason, we think that by the time that we're 18, we no longer have to honor our mother and father. And I would say that doesn't make any sense. I, I do believe that there's such thing as a heavy-handed parent and who are trying to control you into your adulthood and, and reach into your family after you're married and, and have some really heavy-handed control of that. And that's probably not helpful, but you need to find a way to... Um, to honor them in the midst of not wanting that, right? We don't always want our parents in our families as we are in our 30s and our 40s being really heavy-handed sometimes. 
but I think there's a way to receive that and still honor them in our responses to them. Uh, you know, one of the interesting things about the Ten Commandments is that um, there's kind of some rules for understanding how we interpret them. And one of the rules for understanding the Ten Commandments is called the rule of categories. And it's this idea that each commandment stands for a category of, of commandments and, and sins and duties. And really, the only way I can make it make sense is to give you an example. Okay, so, so um, for instance, the Sixth Commandment, which we will talk about next week, it says this, you shall not murder. But, you know, taken literally, we, we kind of go, okay, so we don't kill people. That doesn't affect many of us. Don't, you know, most of us aren't looking to kill people, don't have this kind of impulse to do that. Um, but, but Jesus has showed us that it's much more than about just simply murder, that it's about hatred. And, and we begin to understand that it's about hatred, that's also about physical violence. And so we understand the commandment of murder creates a category. It's murder, it's hatred, it's, it's, it's violence. Another example would be the seventh commandment, which we're going to talk about in two weeks, which forbids adultery. And so if we took a really thin look at it, we'd say, okay, well, the very heart of that is don't have sex outside of marriage. Um, it's the most literal sense of it. But if we understand it as Jesus taught, that, that lust in our heart is somehow breaking that commandment as well, and then we understand there's a brad, broader category that deals with, 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 with pornography and lust. It's called the interpretive rule of categories. And even if we look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, it talks about this. It says something like, under one sin or duty, all of the same kind or forbidden or commanded. It's, it's, it's kind of saying like this exists. So if murder is also about violence and hatred, and adultery is also about lust and pornography, how does the same idea work its way through the fifth commandment, right? Uh, how, how does honoring our mother and father become a category of kind of thought that God is giving us in the fifth commandment? Here's, here's how we understand this. Okay, here's how we understand the fifth commandment. When God tells us to honor our mother and father, it's this greater idea that we are to respect anyone who has legit authority over us in our lives. This is a concept that the, the Israelites would have understood. They would have understood this really well. They often use the term father to refer to men outside their biological family. Generally, older, elder men in the community, they would refer to as father because they understood that the same respect that they would give out to their parents would be extended to their elders. I think that's a healthy thing for the church to mimic, that we would value very much our elders and we would uh, honor them and we would get the directive to honor them from the fifth commandment, the one that tells us to honor our parents, that that, that categorically passes our, our, our desire to honor the authorities of our elders as well. Do you remember the story of, uh, of David before he was king and Saul who was the current king? And remember David was called to play the harp for him or the lyre for him while, while he slept and, and that Saul was really, in all intents and purposes, it seemed like he was kind of going through a breakdown, and he was rejecting God and being rejected by God, and there was a lot going on. And, and David was anointed to be his successor. But Saul began acting really wicked to David, the king, to this boy who had played music for him, and, and always seemed to be a pretty faithful servant and friend. And at one point, Saul even tried to run him through with spears, and David's running, and Saul's chasing him with his army. And, and one day while Saul is chasing David with his army, Scripture tells us that Saul ducks into a cave to relieve himself. And while he's in the cave, somehow David's able to be there with him in the dark, and he's got a knife in his hand, and he knows 
I can end this all right now. I could kill Saul. I could end the oppression. I could take what, what, what I've been told at some point is going to be mine. There's a great chance to get revenge and, and make things right. And he doesn't. Instead, all he does is he, he cuts off a piece of Saul's cloak, if you remember this. And later on, when, when, when they're arguing, David and Saul, and they're confronting one another, here's what David says. It's 1 Samuel 24, verse 11. We'll put it up. David is speaking to Saul. He says, see, my father. Now, just for clarification, Saul is not David's father. He's, he's the king. He's extending this fifth commandment of fatherhood, of respecting your parents to where authority exists in his life. You see this. He says, see, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut it off the corner of your robe, but I did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you're hunting me down to take my life. He calls Saul father. He's expanding the fifth commandment. He's honoring the authority of Saul, even when Saul's not acting in a way that's really respectful. He understands that his responsibility is based on God's authority, not just the character of Saul. Bottom line here, if you've been drifting in and out of this sermon, I'll, I'll bring you back in. Here we go. You start as a child learning to respect authority. God gives a bit of his authority to your parents so that they can guide you and they can protect you. And God commands you to honor your parents. It's, it's not the ten suggestions, right? We understand that. It's the ten commandments, right? That he commands you to honor your parents and to submit to their authority. Later on in life, those same principles are going to apply to others that God has placed in authority over you. Your bosses, your principals, your professors. Most importantly, your preachers. How does this mean uh, that we should think about elected leaders? Right? What if the person you don't want to win the nomination in November wins it? How are you going to respond to honoring somebody who you didn't vote for? Because right? it's easy to honor the person we voted for, but it's really hard to honor the person we didn't vote for. But I think if you want a really faithful reading of the fifth commandment, it's about honoring the authorities of God that he has He's put in place in leaders. And I, and I honestly believe that some of you hate your political enemies more than you love God's commandment. You can't bear the thought of honoring your political opponent. Your heart is so poisoned. I guess God's law at times seems like it's asking too much of you. I made the, the point earlier that the fifth commandment was the foundational commandment for, for God's establishment of a healthy society. I'm going to say that again. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, is the foundational commandment for the establishment of a healthy society. They were all out, two million of them out in the woods, never governed themselves before. How are they going to make this work? You know how they did? They started in the home. God said, honor your father. Honor your mother. And from there, they learned a system of, of respecting authority. And then when there was authority, they had already learned that from the home. It was expected. 
Kids, honor your parents. Everyone, honor the ordained authorities in your life, unless they try to force you to sin or forbid you from righteousness. That's it. That, that, that's when you know you can no longer follow the authorities. It's when they have removed themselves from the line of God's authority by forcing you to sin or forbidding you from righteousness. Look at our society today. It began with the breakdown of the family. Mothers and fathers were not honored. Children who didn't learn to respect authorities. Uh, fathers were not in the home. And children without fathers in the home grew up to despise authority. Not every child. I can generally find you a lot of great people who grew up without fathers in the home, and God was gracious to them, and they have a great attitude towards authority. But in a, in a general sense, a lot, of, a lot of homes without fathers had people grow up where they despised authority because they weren't taught to honor their father and mother. Uh, there's a book by Paul C. Vitz that uh, uh, Reverend Blaha shared with me this week. It's called uh, Faith of the Fatherless. The Psychology of Atheism. Here's what I find really, really interesting. Vitz is a great scholar, and if you read uh, the back of the, the book, the people who have written reviews of the book are, are great scholars. It's a very reputable book. Um, he, he makes the case that, in almost, that, that almost every famous atheist thinker grew up in a home without a healthy father figure. And see, he's studying the, the, the psychology of atheism. What makes someone lean towards rejecting the idea or the authority of God. And what he's saying is, well, if, if we're going to treat, um, if we're going to treat atheism the way they treat Christianity and look at it like a, like it's, it's a diagnosable psychiatric you know, way, well, then let's look at some of the psychiatric causes of it. And so what they said is, hey, listen, all these leading atheists, uh, uh, just uh, almost everyone you've ever heard of grew up without a father in the home, or if they had a father in the home, they were abusive. And he, I mean, it's just, it's just chapter after chapter of micro uh, biographies of these guys. Nietzsche, Hume, Camus, Schopenhauer, Thomas Hobbes, Sigmund Freud, Voltaire, Richard Dawkins. All these men grew up fatherless or with abusive, horrible fathers, and they grew up to reject the authority of God. And now we live in a culture where almost all authority is rejected and seen as oppressive. Our governor is not honored when he tries to lead and asks us to put on masks. It's rejected. Our president is not honored when he tries to lead. The police are not honored in the leadership that they provide. I was talking to my sister yesterday and we were having this conversation and she said, yeah, but haven't they all failed us? I understand there's brokenness in our leadership. We've all seen the videos. Um, there needs to be a change in some things. Authority at times has been abused. And, and, and some of you want me to say a lot more about this. But the commandment that we're reading today needs to be heard without qualifiers. Like I, I, you can't take honor your parents and then read it with a big butt at the end of it. Honor your parents. Honor your parents. Honor your authorities. You need to hear God's call to respect authority. Next week, though, we're going to talk about God's commandment to not murder. And you're going to find the rebuke you're looking for there. 
And there's a great balance to that. Like we're, we're a real polarized culture. Like someone wants to, but, but here God says, listen, at the same time, respect authority and respect the humanity of people and don't murder, right? I mean, that's what's happening in the text. It's beautiful. Anarchy and chaos cannot be the answer to reorder our society. But anarchy and chaos is exactly the result when you remove the Ten Commandments from our society. What is the solution to anarchy and chaos? It's the Word of God. God gave His people His holy law to order society. And it starts in your family. What's in my family? It starts by teaching our kids to, to honor their parents. It starts with our kids by being willing to, to honor your parents and, and to, to do so because you see that, that your parent is put there by God and that he's working with God's authority in your life for your good. It's not about your dad being a good guy or your mom being a good guy. It's about the fact that God has put them there and given him his authority. So honor your father and mother and all the authorities that God has placed over you so that your days may be long in the land the land that your Lord, your God, has given you. This is the fifth commandment. When we read it, we're reminded that we're pretty bad at it. And we need Jesus. But let us strive evermore to be the kind of people that keep the law of God. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for our parents. Uh, what an act of grace that you give us uh, someone to steward us. Not all of us have great parents, God. I pray that for those of us who don't, you would give us um, some really great strength to honor them for your glory. God, teach us to honor all the authorities in our lives. Uh, now, we do pray for our leaders. Uh, we pray for uh, our governor. We pray for our president. We pray for our Congress, House of Representatives. We pray for our police officers, our first responders. God, we pray for the pastors of the churches in, in, in this country and in the world who are struggling with how to lead. Leadership is hard when the people are polarized. God, help us to be those who respect authority. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. His power, He has 
You know, what every preacher really wants is for when people get in the car that they know what he just said, right? They understand that. And so let me, let me kind of give you just a snapshot. Okay? If you're trying to explain this to somebody else, I, I, what I'd like you to say is, Tyson said that he thinks that the fifth commandment is a foundation for God that they've got to put in place to order a, a functional society. And he said it began with, with respecting the parents in the home, and it went outward to respecting all authorities in all of society. That's, that's what I want you to understand. And I want to understand that, 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 as we read in Romans, that all authority really gets its authority from God, and it's given out, right? Uh, God in his sovereignty allows there to be a police force, allows there to be elected officials. And uh, there's a sense that that fifth commandment spills over to those other places, and we're to be people who respect authority in our lives. That's the word. Go and be a people who respect the authority that God has given. Be it your parents, you never age out of that. Honor your mother and father. Go now and take me through the love of God, the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Let's enjoy the, mu or the ministry of music once more. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory for the things He Lakeside does fantastic worship with you until next week. God bless.